And today I thought on my heart from God, um, we talk a little bit about um, they lived happily ever after, which is um, kind of a phrase which comes sometimes, doesn't it? Don't get ahead of us. We don't need to go there just yet. But, but it's a kind of a, a, a teasing kind of title, really, because everybody's looking for happiness and everybody's looking for living happily ever after. The, the problem, of course, is that happiness is a very transient thing in this life, isn't it? as most of you will have discovered um, in your short existence on this planet. Um, happiness is a kind of elusive thing that sometimes you have and perhaps often you don't have. And, of course, mere earthly happiness is always cut off, tragically, by death. So the phrase, they lived happily ever after, is a kind of elusive dream for many people. But, but it got me thinking, how, how would it be to live in a world in which there is neither a beginning nor an end? Now, because for a lot of people, it is kind of like that, um, because they don't really know what the beginning is, nor do they know quite what the end is, and therefore they live in the middle of it, because that's where they are, by default, um, without any real concept uh, um, of what it is. M Margaret um, Atwood, I don't recommend um, necessarily you read much of her. You have to read her perhaps if you're studying at school and stuff these days. But, but um, she's got a book called Happy Endings, um, little sort of monograph. And it ends like this. You'll have to face it. The endings are the same whichever way you slice them. Don't be deluded by other endings that are all fake. Deliberately fake with human intent and malice to deceive or motivated by excessive optimism, if not downright sentimentality. The only authentic ending is the one provided here. John and Mary die. John and Mary die. John and Mary die. Now, she's an agnostic. She doesn't know what to believe. I hope we're in a better place. Because I say, well, what happens next after you die? And I thought it'd be good to talk a little bit about beginnings and endings and the big question of where we fit in the middle. So now we can put the slide up. Um, yeah, okay. I thought I'd talk a little bit about Redeemer King, which is you, and um, where you fit in the big scheme of things. Because I think sometimes it helps you get up in the morning when you know that you fit to something bigger than yourself. I, I find it very constricting if all you've got in life is yourself. If you get up in the morning and all you're thinking about is yourself, and you go to bed at night and all you've thought about all day is yourself, it is kind of very constricting and why most people never find happiness and never find meaning in life. It's because they spend their whole time thinking about themselves. But I want to try and get you to think about where you fit in a much bigger picture and encourage you. And where Redeemer King fits in a bigger picture. It's a kind of little church at the moment. We pray to God it'll become a larger church, don't we? But it's a little church at the moment with a big name. It struck me when Dan gave me the name. I thought, wow, that's a big name for a church, isn't it? Whatever the church is, it's a big name because it's the name about Jesus. Redeemer, Saviour, King, Lord. And, and it's kind of a big name. That's great. And we hope it has a big future. Um, we trust under God it will have. In some ways, I suppose it's been born out of an ending of something quite painful. And it's the beginning of something which under God is a new chapter. 
But we need to know where it fits in a bigger scheme, don't we? So I'm going to put you in God's big picture. If you want a text, now you do, you want the Bible, not Margaret Atwood, don't you? If you want a text, it would be Revelation 22:13. I'm going to do some other verses in a moment, but this is the big text um, where Jesus says right at the end, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So we know where the beginning is going to be, and we know where the end is going to be. And guess what? In the middle, it won't be much different either. It will be Jesus. So Jesus said, I am the, I am the A to Z, the Alpha and the Omega, Greek alphabet. I am the, uh, the Protos and the Eschatos. I am the first and the last, and I'm the, uh, the, the beginning of the story and the end of the story. And I'm everything about the story. And I just want you to be part of the story. That's what Jesus says to you this morning. And there's nothing more exciting in life, I've found, than to be part of God's story. It's what gets me up in the morning, and it's what puts me to bed at night, and it's what I find in between gives meaning to life. And it is the secret of happiness, if you can understand it. So the first beginning is there in Genesis 1, verse 1 to 3. The first beginning. You know these verses, but let me read them to you because they tell you the beginning. Um, in the beginning, in the arche, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a good beginning, isn't it? God created it all, before all, creating all. But then verse 2 of Genesis is a strange verse. Have you ever noticed it? Um, here in the beginning, there's a very strange verse popped in and um, the Bible does that often. It puts strange verses in to make you think, doesn't it? Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and you might expect it to start to describe the creation of the planet as we know it, but it doesn't. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, or the abyss, as it literally is. Kind of strange beginning, pointing to something mysterious and difficult. And, thankfully, the Spirit of God was hovering over that deep. And God said, into this formless, empty, dark place, God said, and this is the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And as I think about that, that's a gospel picture, if ever there was one, isn't it? So Genesis 1 is, yes, it's all about the beginning of the creation of the world, but there's something mysteriously difficult and dark in there as well. And it is also a glorious picture of what happens when the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ comes. How can I say that? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6 is the only New Testament quote, as far as I know, from Genesis 1. And it tells you what it means. If you want to know what it really means in the Bible, then you have to find what the Bible says it means. I mean, you could make up any multiple of ideas what you think the Bible is about, but actually the Bible is its own interpreter and tells you what it means. And there in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, we, we get this verse. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, said, make his light shine in your heart to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So Genesis, the beginning, is a picture of something even more wonderful, which is not just the creation of human beings, but actually the creation of a world of light. 
We know, because we've read the story of Genesis, many of us, that actually creation quickly became dark. So that formless and empty place, that darkness, actually was what it quickly became, wasn't it? Yeah, you know the story. Adam and Eve, sin, rebellion, Satan coming into the garden, and darkness coming upon the face of the earth, death and destruction and despair and meaninglessness and, and all the rest of it. So very quickly, so right there at the beginning, God who knew all things describes the beginning in a faithful way. Yes, he creates it, but yes, it's going to have a problem. And yes, he is going to give a new creation and a new light. And the seed will come. Genesis 3.15. The word spoken to Satan. I will put hatred between you and the woman, between your seed and hers. He will crush your head, Satan, and you will strike his heel. A glorious promise of a better, a better place. So that's something about the beginning. What about the final ending? Let me take you right through um, to the final ending. Well, you know the ending as well, some of you, don't you? The ending's good news as well. Not only is it a great beginning, but it's a great ending. You see, the ending, as you go right the way through to the book of Revelation, so you've covered the whole Bible in one sermon, um, is what? Jesus is coming back again. That's what it says in verse 20. Yes, I am coming soon. That Jesus is coming back. So there in the beginning, the creation, and there at the end, Jesus' return. And putting aside all the debates over the age of the earth, um, according to the good Bishop Usher, who some centuries ago um, said that the time from Adam to Jesus was about 4,000 years, and the time from Jesus to now is about 2,000 years, on my reckoning by the calendar. So it's about 6,000 years from Genesis to Jesus and beyond where we are now, and how long beyond that as yet we don't know. But, but, but a lot of water under the bridge from the first beginning to the final ending. Um, if we had time, we could go through the whole of the, the story of the Bible, couldn't we? Um, we won't do that. But, but right at the heart of the story of the Bible, right in the middle there where you've appropriately got Redeemer King is Jesus. So you just need to know, from the beginning to the ending, the one who is in the middle is Jesus. And the Gospels tell his story. He's the center of all history, isn't he? He's the center by his cross and his resurrection. He's the center of it all. So God created it. Jesus will finish it. 2,000 years and still counting. Coming up for the apocalypse or the unveiling. When Satan will be defeated and sin will be judged and heaven will be opened and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem and a holy city and a river which flows with life. Three times in the final chapter, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. So you might know the ending. You know the ending. The Bible tells us where the ending is. When you get in those tough patches in the middle, you know the ending. You know he's coming again. It's interesting, in Revelation, uh, the ending actually isn't his coming. You might have thought, I'm fascinated by endings. Um, and, and You might have thought the ending was Jesus' is coming, but Revelation doesn't finish um, with the ending, it finishes with some way a little bit back uh, from the ending, and it says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. We need that before the ending. That's where we are now. We're in the middle of that story. We're between the story of the creation, Jesus has come, um, and we're waiting for him to come again, and we need a lot of grace in the middle, don't we? 
We need grace in the middle between the beginning and the ending. Amen, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. But I suppose I wouldn't want to leave it there really because Redeemer King is in the middle of that. You're in the middle of that, aren't you? Between the start and the end. And these aren't easy times in which to live, are they? That They're not easy personally. They're not easy nationally. Um, they're very uncertain times. They're very dangerous times, perhaps. You know, the rise of, of, of the Russian forces and Ukraine and all the unsettling, and then ISIS, and, and you think, what on earth is going on? in this world of ours. What, what is happening to our world? Well, it's the same thing that's always been happening, of course. It's, it's, it's between the place of darkness and light, isn't it? It's between the place of God creating it and Jesus coming back again. That's where this world is. That's where we are and that's where our lives are. They're caught up in the, in, the, in the struggle of sin and, and salvation. That's exactly where we are. And... There's a kind of another beginning, another ending, which is up on the screen there, which I wanted to just... Where, in the big story, what is it we are to do? Well, the book of Acts gives us a clue. It's a kind of favourite book of mine at the moment. It gives us a clue. Um, it's your purpose for existence, you see. The book of Acts really is telling us exactly what our purpose is in the big story of God today. That's what it's there for. It's to teach us where we fit into this big scheme of things. Between this creation and this glorious new creation, this return, what is it we are about? What is it we are a people to do? What is it that God's people, Redeemer, King, are to... Are to we look, so if you look at the book of Acts, as you are, I know, it, it will tell you what you are to be. But I thought it'd be helpful this morning just to, just to look at the beginning and the end of Acts. Because they kind of are a beginning and the end of your story. So, I take you to the beginning of Acts first. Let me just read the beginning of Acts to you. It tells us where we should begin in this big story. In my former book, well, that tells us that at the beginning before this beginning, something has happened. The former book, of course, we shall find, if we read the Bible, is Luke's Gospel, and it's all about Jesus. So, in my former book, Theophilus, who... Whatever else he was, whoever else he was, that name means lover of God. So lover of God, here at Redeemer King. I wrote about all that Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The middle is all about Jesus. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the last and the first. He, he's everything, isn't he? he? He is all that we need. And I wrote about him... I wrote about his suffering, says Luke. So it's all about his suffering, his redeemership. I, I showed how he was alive. It's about his resurrection. Uh, until he went up to heaven. It's about his ascension. It's, it's all about Jesus. But, but you'll notice that it says this. It says, all that Jesus began. It's a big word in Acts 1.1. All that Jesus began. The implication is, is that Jesus is still going on doing it. Yet, all that he began to do and to teach, all his, his works, all his words, they are somehow continuing. You read the book of Acts, you find exactly how they continue. 
because Jesus has gone back to heaven waiting for the end. But his people are left on earth and they are to continue his works and his words. Both absolutely vital for witness. Both crucial for living in the in-between time of the beginning and the ending. So important for Redeemer King to continue the works and the words of Jesus. Now that is huge stuff, isn't it? Because you are connected, this is saying that you are somehow connected with the work and the word of Jesus. It's saying that your role and your life individually as a Christian and as a church is somehow caught up with what Jesus said and did. Which I think makes a church's existence a huge thing. You know, sometimes we come to church and we treat church as if it's, oh, well, it's just one of those things we do. It's a kind of um, hobby along the way, if you like. It's kind of, well, it fills an hour on a Sunday. It, it sort of expresses, but actually, no, 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 no. This, this is telling us, Acts is telling us that, that this is about continuing to do what Jesus did, continuing his work and continuing his word. So it connects us so much with, with a crucial, vital, central element of our faith, doesn't it? That church is somehow an expression of the continuing work of Jesus. And here in this, this opening section, there are five things that we're told um, that are part of our getting into this work of Jesus. That there are instructions that he gives... So we need instructions from Jesus, don't we? Now, you've got plenty to go at because you've got four Gospels and you could live every day of your life and shape your church around all that Jesus says in the Gospels. Wouldn't that be good? You've got instructions from Jesus. You're not left to guess, well, this is how we ought to be like a church. This is what we think. No, 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 no. Let's, Jesus will tell you exactly what the church is to be like. You read his Gospels. He's explicit in the way, you, your attitudes you should have. He's explicit in the way you should do things. He's explicit in, in how you've got, got to live your life. Yes, he doesn't fill all the dots in for you. He doesn't just give you a rule. And, you know, some people like rules and regulations, but that's not Jesus, is it? What he does is give you an, an example, a glorious picture of what it's like to do his works and words. And, and so you, you've, you've got his instructions. Through the Holy Spirit and... You have the Holy Spirit. Acts is all about um, the mandate of the mission through the power of the Spirit, isn't it? Don't, don't think we can do anything without the Spirit. Any church that tries to do its activities without the Spirit is doomed to fail. Any Christian who tries to live and please God by their own efforts is doomed to fail, aren't they? You cannot live in the in-between time doing the works of Jesus, speaking the words of Jesus, unless the Holy Spirit is going to have maximum impact through your life. You know, I think it was Tozer that said, wasn't it, that lots of churches could just keep going um, because they wouldn't know that the Holy Spirit had left them. Because they've got so many programs and so many good things and so much that they've got the wheels turning that the Holy Spirit disappears and they wouldn't even notice because they just keep doing the things they've always done. But, but you cannot, that, that is not how God wants it. He wants the Holy Spirit to be in charge and glorify Jesus. So you've got instructions, you've got the Holy Spirit, there's apostles chosen. Now we don't have apostles today, but we do have apostolic functions. It really just means people who are sent. So on one level, you would look for many Christians to be apostolic, wouldn't you? At least being sent by God into this world. And part of church life is, is, to, is to endorse one another's apostolic uh, callings, isn't it? It's what God is saying to you and where God is sending you. Now, it might be next door, and that's apostolic, isn't it? It may be much further afield. I mean, they had to go through Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So some of you will be 
called and sent to the ends of the earth. And churches must raise people up and send them, mustn't they? And others of you will be called to go to the next town to start another church. Within the DNA of any church is the desire to start other churches, isn't it? Because the gospel of Jesus cannot be contained. And for some of you, you'll be sent next door to the person that needs a kind word and a helping hand. But you are being apostolic in all of that. So it's a function that we all need to know what our calling and sending is, doesn't it? And churches shouldn't seek to keep people. They should gather to send, shouldn't they? And release so that the gospel of Jesus can extend in this in-between time. And it's a death and resurrection model. I haven't got time to go into that, but that's so important. Some of you are in the dying phase of something of life. Yeah, you know what I mean? You know where dreams are dying and hearts are fading and things seem to be crumbling. That's the death phase of life. You need that and you need the resurrection phase as well. Because God tends to take us through these cycles where we die to self and we rise again um, in Jesus. So it's all about death and resurrection. And Jesus for 40 days spoke about the kingdom of God. A little neglected subject. Um, my kind of thesis is the book of Acts is all about the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is such a huge subject. Jesus took 40 days, perfect period, to teach before he went back. It must have been important to tell people about the kingdom of God, about the rule and the reign of Jesus. That's what it's all about, isn't it? it and about the presence of the Holy Spirit and extending that um, throughout the world. So that's a, that's a good beginning. But you see, Acts is a journey. I think Acts is your journey. I think that's how Acts really is meant to be. It's meant to be your journey. A lot of people read Acts and it's just a history. You know, I debate with a lot of people who, who argue um, and say, well, Acts is it's a story of the early church. Well, yes and no. Yes, it is, but it's not just the story of the early church. Because if you think that's all it is, well, you could be a thousand, two thousand years or a million years from that, couldn't you, actually? No, Acts is a story, I think, under God that has stood the test of time purely because it is a story of all churches for all time. It's a story of your church. Your church needs to start where Acts starts and it needs to be able to get to the end of Acts, wherever the end is for you. So it's a journey, a foundation, a transition, a mission, and a rather strange ending, which I want to take you to, um, to close the, the circle. The end of a church's journey, or your journey. So Acts 28, 30, 31, you can look these up if you haven't got a Bible when you get back home. You can look up Genesis 1. You can remember that verse from the sermon, can't you? You can remember Revelation because you remember the preacher spoke about the last verse. So you've got easy to look these up when you get home because you haven't got to dig into the middle and get lost, have you? You just look at the beginning, read that. Look at the end, read that. Find the book of Acts, which is tucked in the middle deliberately. Read the beginning and read the end. So you can remember this sermon very easy can't you, about beginning and ends. And this is the end of the book of Acts. You may never have noticed it. It's got a kind of a strange twist at the end. Uh, kind of a, it's a sense of completion, and yet it's a sense of continuing open. So it's not kind of almost the end. Um, let me read it, and then we'll comment briefly on it, because we need to know about the ending as well as the beginning of what we are for. For two whole years... Paul stayed there in his own rented house and he welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God. Notice that. And he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. For two whole years. 
We could say, of course, we'd want to say, and what happened after that, wouldn't we? I mean, volumes have been written, and scholars have spent many happy hours or otherwise seeking to answer the question, well, what happened after the two years? They've come up with two answers, of course, uh, based upon early church tradition. Early church tradition has two options after the two years. One is that Paul was tried by Nero, and he was almost certainly beheaded and executed for his faith in Jesus Christ. There is a well-attested tradition that that's what happened. There is also an equally well-attested tradition that actually for a period he was released, that his trial came to nothing. He was released and he was sent on another mission and he went to Spain and all sorts of other places, only then later to be re-arrested and eventually executed. So there's kind of two options. Martyrdom, dying for Jesus, or going on telling the story about Jesus. And it strikes me that that is probably where we all are, actually. There are two options, aren't there? We die for Jesus, whatever that looks like and means, or we go on telling the story about Jesus. And whatever time we have left, and I don't know if you've got two years, of course. I can't prophesy that you've got two years. I don't know. You may not have two years. All I do know is, and all I know, I don't know if I've got two years. All I do know is the time I've got would be well invested in doing exactly what the book of Acts does, which is telling people about Jesus. Where is he? Well, he's in his own uh, rented house in Rome. Of course, he's in Rome. That, that's hugely symbolic, isn't it, at the end? The gospel of Jesus is at Rome. That's how the book ends. That, that is good news. This gospel, which was once locked up in a little religion in Jerusalem, has now burst its banks and gone to the ends of the earth. I think if I was going to have anything as a title for the book of Acts, it would be getting the gospel out of the church into the world. Because in my experience over ministry, most churches lock the gospel up too much. This book is about releasing the gospel. This book is about getting the gospel out there. This book is about not about building religious institutions. If you want to know how to do church, the book of Acts won't help you a great deal. What the book of Acts will help you with is getting your, the gospel of Jesus out. Releasing it from the constraints of religion that we all love to get huddled into, and bursting its banks outwards. So here's Paul. He's at Rome. And in Rome, where Caesar is Lord, he preaches Jesus is Lord. It's a triumph. It's a glorious end. Other people would like his martyrdom to be the end, or they'd like some fresh mission. But actually, this is the end of Acts. This is what it's all about, telling people that Jesus is Lord, telling them about the kingdom of God. He's in his own rented house. I don't know what you have. Your house probably might not be rented. It might be owned. Some of you might be fortunate. Some of you might be renting. Some of you may not have a house that you own. But I know something. You have something that God has given you that is meant to be used in the same way that Paul used his house. What did he do with his house? He used it for the kingdom of God. He used it for spreading the good news of Jesus. He used it as a place that he could tell others about Jesus. And whatever you have, friend, I don't care what it is, if it's your car or if it's your home or if it's... It is for Jesus if you're a Christian. He wants to use it. And you really, you ought to be praying every day, how can I use what I've got for Jesus? That's what being a Christian is, isn't it? It's about using what you've got for the glory of God. So I don't care what you've got. You ought to be asking God, well, what can I do with this for your glory? He might say, well, you could sell it and give it away. And that's a bit of a test in it when that happens. He might say, well, actually, no, I'd like you to use it. I know you pride your car, but I'd like you to use your car for picking up some old people to bring them to church. Or I'd like to, 
a million ways which he might let you use your car for the kingdom of God. Actually, if we've got something that can't be used for the kingdom of God, you know the best thing to do with it, don't you? Yeah, I'll leave you to fill in the gaps. You see, the end here, he's, he's meant to be a prisoner. Paul's meant to be a prisoner. And yet, as the chapter unfolds and closes, he's hardly a prisoner. He's a preacher. He's a proclaimer. He's one who tells the message of Jesus. That's what we are to do between our beginning and our ending. It's what Redeemer King is meant to be doing. It's meant to be doing exactly what Paul did. It all begins with the salvation of God, notice, in verse 28. I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. That's you and me, so that's good news. And they will listen. I love those few, those few words. You know, you get people who are all very negative about Christian mission and things, you know. And they, usually the thing is, well, there's not much point doing it because nobody will listen. That's usually the excuse that people come up with. So there's no point sharing Jesus because, well, I've tried and nobody will listen. No, 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 actually, there's a verse in the Bible that says the exact opposite. And it's near the end of, of Acts. It obviously tells the truth of what the reality is. And they will listen. You see, that's the truth. Truth is, if you get into the purposes of God where he wants you to be, and you do what God wants you to do, and you give your life and use everything you've got for the glory of God, guess what, friends? They will listen. They will. Because that's what God said. They're going to listen. The ones that he wants to listen will listen. And you'll find plenty of people who want to listen about the good news of Jesus. So if you're at the moment struggling and saying, well, there's not much point because nobody will listen, it's probably because you're not where God wants you to be in this whole purpose of God thing. So we are to respond to a move of God's salvation. It is being sent, same word actually, apostle. It has been apostolized. These, this is the apostolic thing at the end of Acts. It is, the gospel is now being sent. The salvation is being sent to people and they are going to listen. So we just need to get involved in that process. God is sending his salvation out here around Chesterfield. Redeemer King just needs to be part of the process because they will listen. You know what some churches do, which I find is very sad? They put verse 20, notice there's a missing verse 29. We notice that, sharp eyes. You know, it goes from verse 28 to verse 30. Verse 29 has been dropped into a footnote. I'm glad it has been. It's a kind of a, an alternative rendering. It doesn't really have much authority. But it's interesting, it's in the footnotes. You might have it in your Bible. It's got it in mind. It puts it at the bottom. And unfortunately, faced with this sending of this salvation that God is doing and this opportunity for people to listen, guess what churches do? They do what verse 29 says, don't they? After he had said this, the Jews left, or we could say, fortunately, some religious people or Christians today, they left arguing vigorously amongst themselves. Faced with the task of sharing in the good news of, of the salvation and sending it out and, and getting people to hear and listen and get saved, faced with opportunity, guess what some churches seem to spend their time doing? Verse 29, down in the footnote, vigorously arguing amongst themselves over all kinds of things that don't really matter in the final degree, do they? So we just need to make sure we go from verse 28 to verse 30, I think. <laughs> I'd leave 29 in the footnote if I was you. Don't, don't have it part of your church life at all. Because what are you to do? What did Paul do in those two years? What did he do with his rented house? What did he do when the salvation of God was being sent all over the world? What did he do? Well, there's three things Redeemer King should do in the waiting time. 
You know the time between the creation and the end? And Jesus and salvation? Three things. It's not difficult. You haven't got long lists of things to remember. You want to know what you've got to do? Do what Paul did. That wouldn't be bad, would it? He did three things. He welcomed, he heralded the kingdom, and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a really important order, don't you? He welcomed. Churches should be the most welcoming place on earth. Unfortunately, from my experience, both as a pastor sometimes, in trying to get people to do welcome well, you know, you, I'm not very good with people, pastor. That's a shame, isn't it? As everything here is about people. That's going to make it pretty difficult to serve in this church, isn't it? If you're not very good with people. Now, I understand some people are shy, but it doesn't matter. If you're a shy person, there are shy people that need welcoming, aren't there? But at the end of the day, a church that doesn't know how to welcome, doesn't know how to begin in this process, really, does it? Because you've got to be the most welcoming. I mean, I'm on the other end now because I'm sort of in transition, and so I'm visit churches. <laughs> That's interesting as well, you know. You go to a church, good reputation, good name. You go to it, you sit in the congregation, I managed to be in one church. This was an experiment. I don't recommend it. I went and I thought, I'm not going to go out my way to, to be outgoing to anyone. I'm going to go as if I'm a, a real recluse and I need the gospel of Jesus. So I sat there. I got in without anybody speaking to me. That took some doing because they usually police the door, don't they? But, but I, I, I managed to get in somehow. And I managed to sit in a seat. And I listened to the whole service. And I thought, I'm going to sit in this seat and see what happens. And I sat there, and I sat there, and I sat there. And for 10 minutes, nobody came near me. In fact, I managed to get out of that church without anybody speaking to me. I got in, and I got out, and nobody welcomed me. And I think, hey, come on, friends. We've got to be the most welcoming group of people on the planet because we have the good news of Jesus. And Paul welcomed. He knew how to welcome. I bet he gave a good welcome to people that came to him. You've got to give good welcome. You've got to think that strategy, I'm sure you do, but you've got to think that strategy through really well, haven't you? As to when people come for the first time, they've got to, it's got to be the most wonderful thing, hasn't it? Not false. No, we're not talking about false, but genuine welcoming. So if you've got a welcoming gift or spirit, I sign up, I would. The second thing you've got to do is herald the kingdom. Been there from the beginning. It'll be there to the end. You've got to herald the kingdom of God. The kingdom is really about individual submission first, isn't it? It's about saying, I am under the king. So it's, if you're going to herald the kingdom, it's a good idea to live on, in the kingdom. Yeah, so if you're the kind of person that doesn't want Jesus to rule over everything in your life, well, you need to do a bit of thinking through, don't you? Because being in the kingdom means Jesus has first control over everything in your life. I mean everything, not just the things you want to give to him. Usually what we Christians do is we decide the things that aren't going very well and we give those to Jesus. We keep the things that we want and we say, hands off. Being in the kingdom means everything is under the king. Huge challenge for all of us. It means the church, then, is under the kingship of Jesus. You're the redeemer king and church. So that means Jesus will dictate everything that happens in this church. Doesn't it? Which, again, is a huge thing, because most people come to church, and they, they like church to be what they want it to be. We're all the same. We're all, you know, we, and if we're not careful, of course, what that means is, in reality, is that we're just a group of people all together liking what we all like. You notice that how churches go? They go in certain directions, don't they? Well, we all like this kind of worship, so we all go to that. And we all like this way of doing things, so we all go over here. No, 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 that's not how it's meant to be, is it? We're meant to be the kind of church exactly that Jesus wants us to be. 
part of the task of leadership, which is huge, responsibility. Do pray for these two men. They have the responsibility, along with you, of discerning what Jesus the King wants this church to do and be. That's huge. So they need a lot of prayer and support because that's not always easy, is it? Because sometimes when Jesus says, well, actually, I want you to take a full U-turn and do this, it's, it's pretty difficult to convince everybody of that, isn't it? It's not easy because we've all been going in this direction and then Jesus says, let's all go that direction. And sometimes that can be really difficult. And, of course, it means that society will be transformed if the kingdom of God is being proclaimed, doesn't it? It means that every part of the world that we're involved in is going to come under his lordship. So welcome, herald the kingdom, teach about the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you think of anything more wonderful to do in the in-between time? Can you think of any better purpose for a church to be said, I mean, what, why does Redeemer King exist? Well, I reckon it ought to be at least this one. You know, if it's not this one, close the doors, pack it up find another job, do something else. Because this ought to be about teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Shouldn't it? The Lord, that's a challenge at Rome, where Caesar was Lord, isn't it? It's a challenge to the Jew, who thought that the Lord is a deity term, which of course it was as well. He's Jesus. He's the human saviour who came to save the lost. And he's the Christ. Linking back to the Old Testament. So that's what we're to do. We're welcome. We herald the kingdom. We teach about the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but the two words at the end of Acts are important as well. I think our translations switch it round. Mine does, so it loses it. But, but actually, the beginning of the verse is at the end. So the, in the original, these are the last two words that we need. Do it with all boldness. You need to be bold. It's not a day for being cowardly, is it? This is a day for boldness. If you're going to preach the gospel of Jesus at Rome, I, you're, not, you're going to have to be very bold. And you're going to have to preach the gospel where you are, which is a bit like Rome, a lot of godless people, and you're going to have to be very courageous, aren't you, to stand up at your, at your home, at your school, at your college, at your work, in the gym, and round the corner, at the pub, wherever it is. And if you're going to name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you notice Paul doesn't talk about the church, does he? It's a kind of default mode for Christians, isn't it? You know, if you've got to talk, we've got to share the gospel, so let's talk about the church. Uh, I understand that a bit, but it's kind of a dangerous tactic because the church doesn't live up quite to what it should be compared to Jesus. So if I was you, I'd make sure your witnessing doesn't major on the church. You can mention it if you like. You could say, I go to Redeemer King and let me tell you who the Redeemer King is. There we are. That gets you off the hook, doesn't it? Don't just say you go to Redeemer King. Say, I go to Redeemer King and let me tell you who the Redeemer and the King is. Because it's all about Jesus, not about church. So with all boldness, with all courage, and the last word is without hindrance. Without hindrance. At the present in the UK, that's our situation. Remarkably, it was Paul's at Rome. You might not have thought it was, might you? You might have thought he was a prisoner in chains, but actually he did it freely. At the moment, you can do it freely. I hope your spirit is free, because your gospel is free, isn't it? Actually, it's that, that word is unstoppable, translated by some people. He, he did it boldly, and it was unstoppable. I like that. There's something you're doing that is unstoppable. You're involved in the unstoppable purposes of God, aren't you? in your lives and in this church. And I think that ought to get you up in the morning and through the day without too many much coffees and put you to sleep at nine. 
I won't redeem a king to fill the space, you see. That's God intent. That's what he intends. He wants you to fill the space between the creation and the end, the new creation, between the beginning and the end, Jesus and salvation. He wants you to be right there in the middle in his big story. He wants you to serve his eternal purposes. You were made for nothing less than that, friend. I hope that makes you feel good this morning. You know, the gospel, sometimes, it's all, sometimes we, we present it as if it's, you know, it's all sort of make me feel how bad I am. Well, of course, conviction of sin and all of us. Yeah, that's got to come before. But once you have Jesus, it's made to make you feel good, isn't it? Not, not about yourself exactly, but, but the fact that you are part of something bigger. Don't you, don't you feel it's good to be part of something more glorious? Don't you think it's good to know that you're continuing the work and the words of Jesus? That make you feel this is a privilege, this is an honor, this is something that I want to give my life to? Young people, would it be good to sell your life? Starting out, I mean, some of us are getting on a bit, aren't we, Carl? Never mind. But some of us had sort of, we've been there, but some of you are young enough to say, well, I could give my whole life to Jesus, couldn't I? I could live my whole life for this kingdom of God. I, I could go to the end of the earth for Jesus. I, 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 could, I, could, I could just sell my, sell everything I've got and give it to Jesus. You know, I wish, I wish someone had told me to do that when I was younger. Because now as I'm getting older, I find myself more and more captivated and more and more wanting to give and more and more wanting to sell myself for that. But when you're young, wouldn't it be good to have that right at the start of your life so that your whole life could be a, a serving of God from beginning to end? Your whole life would be like a let there be light, that the grace of God would be with you, that Jesus would be with you that his works and his words would be in and through you, that his suffering, death and resurrection would so shape you. Wouldn't it be wonderful to live life like that and to have a salvation of God thing going on in your life so that you welcome and you share the kingdom and you speak of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? Wouldn't that be good? Until the great end comes. Which, of course, is not actually an ending at all, is it? Some of you will have read C.S. Lewis. They never made a film of The Last Battle, did they? I wish they had, because that, to me, is one of the, the end of his series of books about the stories of Narnia. It's one of the... This is how it ends. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. Remember Aslan, the picture of Jesus? A lion, the tribe of Judah. He no longer looked like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them, says Lewis. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. You want to know how to live happily ever after? get into the middle of God's purposes for your life. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story, says, says Lewis. All their life in this world, all their adventures in Narnia, they had been but the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, but which goes on for ever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one 
that goes before. I commend to you, friend, to get into the middle of God's purpose for your life. For there you will find happiness and blessing. And may Redeemer King just serve God's purpose in its present existence. It has begun. Who knows when it will end? But we know what its purpose is in the middle, don't we? So let's have the worship team up and let's worship God and let's recommit ourselves perhaps this morning to be in the story where God has put us and there to live for his glory. Thank you for your patience in listening. Thank you for inviting me.